0: of Hello, Derek and Danny. Hello, Bob. How are you Hello, doing? Hello, Bob. I'm doing fine. I'm glad we're all so cordial and chipper, as is our nature, as is our nature. Uh, so I'm Robert Wright of the Non-Zero Podcast, and our bold experiment in podcast energy continues with the co-host of the American Prestige Podcast, Danny Bessner and uh, Derek Davison. Um, we did one of these, uh, as it happens, two months ago, right before... The Hamas attack. And so we scurried to like tape and add a little kind of prelude uh, that accounted for that and wound up with a pretty long podcast, among other things. Um so you're welcome, audience. Yeah, yeah
1: really. One the, one shudders to think of what might happen now that will re- <laughs> require us to come back.
0: Yeah, come let's over. don't let's don't jinx it. Maybe we should never record another podcast again.
2: It's <laughs> going on top. Uh, yeah, there, I think uh, I forgot the statistic, but an incredibly high number of podcasts have one episode. Uh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like way higher <laughs> than you think, because obviously there was this podcast boom, which has decidedly ended. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, a lot of people tried to do their own thing, and it just it just petered out after an episode. Because, but uh, only the strong that's survived.
1: The, that's the conceit of the episode one podcast, which yes, is a, a very funny podcast, podcast that people should should yeah. listen to. E1. Yeah, it's oh. a very good podcast. Oh, there's a
0: podcast called E One. Yeah, yeah, they do, it's they do they joke. do these
1: like uh, skits of of podcasts that failed, basically like the one episode <laughs> yeah. of some huh. uh, ridiculous. <laughs> it's a really good idea. A podcast. So it's, like, it's, it's really a, funny.
0: It's like the Wayne's World of podcasting kind of. Yeah, is that, is, is is that of, reference yeah. too old for you guys? No I love not, Wayne's world not Wayne's world, for me i'm
1: I'm an old person, so it's
2: one of my favorite movies it's <laughs> it's unbelievably good. The first Wayne's world movie the second one's really good too but Penelope Spheris, I believe was a director and a, a, a woman director
0: of comedy rare at the time mm. very good very okay, good now you're showing off Danny stop, stop. <laughs> your, your your intergenerational cultural literacy is perfectly fine thing to be proud of, but we get the idea <laughs> thank you thank you um. This also occurs when we when we try to reach back into American cultural history for analogs for what we're doing. I mean, do my fellow boomers naturally think of, uh, you know, the Andy Griffith, Gomer Pyle, UM, USMC Synergy, the Green Acres, Petticoat Junction?
2: I think it's, it's, it's actually quite similar structurally to punk bands. Like, I think it, it's very, very similar because it's a very low cost of entry. Um, you don't need a lot of professionalization. That's part of the appeal of it. And you see, like people move around in bands um, and podcasts oh. in, in a way very, very similar. Like I, I, I've been studying punk for this Nirvana podcast that I'm doing. It's, it's really, really similar to like the vibe and the aesthetic and sort of the approach to hmm. culture. Really, uh, really analogous, I think.
0: So you've already got a Nirvana podcast gig going?
2: Uh, well, TBD. T- but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing um. I did a ton of interviews. I did over 90 interviews for this podcast, and so putting it together. Because,
0: you, know, you know, I wrote a book about Buddhism, so I'm, I'm seeing some synergy right away here. Stop. I'm actually <laughs> in a
2: room. My parents created, like, a little Buddhist room. I thought I was going to tell you about it.
0: I'm, I'm totally— I'm <laughs> That's where the that. good vibes are coming from. Yeah. So, enough about good vibes. There's the world to talk about. Yeah, let's get into uh, bad vibes. Nothing but bad
1: vibes. <laughs> nothing.
0: So two months on, I don't know what's our what's our state of the war assessment. Uh, well,
2: Derek could probably give like the pure facts of the matter. Derek, you want to just do like a quick update to to situate people about where we actually are in terms of the uh, the the war? Um,
1: sure. I mean, this you know, reaching back two months is uh, and telescoping is is uh, difficult, but uh, w- w- the Israelis are at the point now where they've moved on from northern gaza gaza city which was the initial target of their uh invasion uh, they've moved on to khan yunis which is one of the two big cities bigish cities in in southern gaza uh, there was that interlude uh last week when uh, they were in a ceasefire with uh, hamas and, and they were exchanging detainees on either side that fell apart uh, after seven days, it lasted longer than it was initially supposed to it was four days. They were able to extend it a couple of times, but the extension uh, talks fell apart. Uh, the, the Northern Gaza end of this, I mean, you know, I, I don't know how detailed you want me to be Danny, but we could, uh, you know, there, there were the uh, attacks on hospitals. There was the incessant bombardment of, of, you know, pretty much the entire Gaza strip, Um uh, Amid calls for people to evacuate uh from the north to the south while the south was still under bombardment there have been more calls in the last few days from the uh, Israeli military for people to evacuate parts of uh Khan Yunus uh to go to Rafah or to go uh, out toward the Mediterranean coast they're they're doing that still under bombardment um, the last couple of days from what i've read have been some of the heaviest fighting of the war so far uh, there is an intense uh push i think to uh root out hamas commanders i mean the israelis uh, you know feel like they've cut the they've cut gaza roughly in half and they're now closing in presumably at least they think on uh senior hamas figures there's only so many more places that they could be i guess uh they've besieged reportedly the home of yahya sinwar who's one of the uh the biggest he's the gaza he's hamas's political leader in gaza um he is uh not home i assume but, I would assume, but they've yeah. they've surrounded his house in sort of a symbolic uh gesture that they can uh trying to say that they can get to anybody i guess um but that's where things stand there's you know obviously the humanitarian situation is is quite dire um they are packing uh hundreds of thousands of people 1.8 million uh, have been displaced at this point, it's believed, probably more than that at this point. They've killed, the, the Israeli military has killed somewhere over 17,000, I say somewhere over. That's the official figure, which the Israelis acknowledge. It's the official figure from Gaza's health ministry. The Israelis acknowledge that it's uh, generally accurate. Uh, they're killing people about a ratio of two civilians for every combatant, according to the Israelis, which you, know, you can uh, wonder what their definition of combatant is and whether that's a, a legitimate figure. Um, they've displaced all these people. There, There's some effort, uh, of course, to get aid in, and we can talk about all these things in, in some detail, but there's some effort to get aid in. But increasingly, I think the problem now is going to become even more than the bombardment, even more than the, the kinetic violence is going to be disease because as these people get packed into ever-smaller geographic spaces, uh, the same number, essentially, you know, you're talking about 1.8 to 2 million people packed into a, an ever-smaller space, with no facilities no infrastructure no little aid some but but not nearly enough to the 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 level of the need uh i think disease is going to be the big thing that starts to to take root and and uh that's that's the next kind of wave of horror here i think
0: yeah the current wall street journal uh page headline is about looting breaking out um not surprisingly did you say that the israelis are Conceding a uh, a civilian to militant death ratio of two to one. I mean, that, yes. I kind of inferred that from an estimate of like at least five thousand militants killed right. that came from them. Or- so this was this was a few days ago. They they said that they they believe they've
1: killed five thousand combatants while also acknowledging that the overall death toll that was being talked about at the time, mm-hmm. which was about fifteen thousand, was generally correct. So effectively, yes, they conceded that they're they're there's uh, a they're two to one uh, civilian to to combatant death toll. Um, I I do I I did see the stories about looting, and I think it's um, I think that that terminology is kind of ridiculous to to talk about people under these circumstances. Uh, as though they're like committing an offense. Yeah, it's uh, of it's like looting. It's it's, it's like it, it's ghetto. just was that looting? Yeah, either? I mean it's it's sort it's of just it's more dehumanizing language that that would never be applied to uh, to you know any other people like in the circumstance, but the Palestinians. Yeah,
0: yeah. I saw a picture of uh, people lined up for flour from the UN, and and I, so far as I could see, there wasn't any actually coming. No flour, but they were waiting, and there were just thousands and thousands of people in a. In a crowd, um, um, I mean, the aid has been restricted
1: logistically in terms of how much you can bring through the the checkpoint at Rafa from from Sinai from Egypt, which is where it's coming from. Uh, that that's been a, a bottleneck. But the the bigger bottleneck at this point is that th- there's not enough fuel to distribute aid to other parts of Gaza once it comes in. And uh, now, in the last few days, with the, the intensity of the fighting in southern Gaza, it's been, uh, I think, impossible for uh, even trucks that, that have fuel to get, get through those areas and, and distribute aid.
0: Derek, have you seen good figures on Israeli casualties? I mean, last I saw numbers, they were, seemed extremely low, which I took to mean that the militants in the north had by and large chosen to either lay low or head south rather than confront them. Although, of course, they're they're hugely outgunned. I mean, I have, you know, the Hamas videos I've seen and there were only a few at the beginning and I haven't seen them since. Not surprising since power is hard to come by and so on. You know, electricity is hard to come by. But um, it was just using RPGs against tanks and it wasn't clear that they were effective and you wouldn't expect them to be. I mean, you need you need slightly more powerful weapons to do much damage to tanks
1: um yeah the israelis themselves say they've lost i think 88 soldiers Mm -hmm. was the last i saw um you know that may that may have changed i think that was a day or two ago so that may have changed Mm -hmm. but it wouldn't have changed by more than you know two or three i wouldn't think uh, barring some you know serious uh mishap uh but yeah i mean there, there have been these videos that kind of you know they're putting out for propaganda reasons of hamas fighters kind of sneaking up on tanks and and they Apparently have had a fairly, uh, you know, from what, what we can tell, the Israelis aren't doing a lot of, like, infantry uh, operations, just, you know, having men kind of uh, coming in with the tanks to protect them from just such an occurrence. Uh, but yeah, as you say, I mean, I, I don't know that, that they're that effective, and it's it comes down to the uh, the sophistication or the, the kind of uh, power of the weapons that, that Hamas has available to them.
0: Mm-hmm. And like, oh, God, what, like, where does this end? I mean, you know, last time we talked about the possibility that an eventual upside could be, this gets so much attention that something productive winds up happening, uh, you, you know, some sort of actual solution, long-term solution to the Israel-Palestine issue, Um I don't know but you know it occurs to me that when you given the political obstacles to that in various places including American domestic politics um it, it, you just have to imagine something incredibly horrific right it's like what did it Even take then? to get the league of nations started world war 1 how about the un yeah. world war 2 you know big heavy lifts you know require massive quantities of horror historically right yeah I mean
2: it, it it I think it's been pretty clear that there's going to be nothing like that. that 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 the world, whether regional or or global whatever framework you want to adopt, is not especially concerned um, or not concerned enough to do something active. but it does seem like there is a the the biggest shift that i've seen is a, a genuine difference in generations of americans toward the us israel policy that that seems genuine that seems real and i i imagine that that will actually have medium term consequences because i think the strategic argument for the us interest in the middle east is has been waning for decades mm-hmm. um and the strategic um Uh, argument for the U.S. interest in Israel has been waiting for decades. Now there's domestic political um, actors, you know, the famed Israel lobby that Mersheimer and Walt talked about, but more important, the Christian Zionist lobby is still quite powerful. Um, Now that Likud has so actively aligned itself with the Republican Party, that seems to be probably a pretty shitty medium to long-term strategic decision that that Netanyahu has made. So that actually does seem like a real shift that will probably be lasting. And there have been moments in American history where the U.S. has been less accommodating to whatever Israel wants. It could be a more normal ally where the U.S. actually exerts some significant pressure or the nature and tenor of the relationship could change. And you could see Israel looking toward other nations like it it had at some points in the 50s.
0: Yeah, although I think even within the Democratic Party, It's going to be a long time before the politics on balance align in favor of any kind of aggressive approach to. Yeah,
2: that's charitocracy, right? I mean, this is a problem with the system. You could talk about this in a million different issue areas, whether it's surveillance, whether it's AI, whether it's Israel. We have these septuagenarians running things. It's a problem, you know? And it's. Yeah, well, well,
0: even. Yeah. I mean, at the donor level, you have a lot of people that old. But I think, you know, even, uh, you know, the the age cutoff, I think, within the Democratic Party where you get to a point where, you know, most people are on balance. Uh, well, well, just wouldn't wouldn't actively support the kind of things you'd need to get an actual solution to this. I think the age cutoff for that is younger. There's also the question of like. These younger people, how much do they care? Will their sentiments endure as time goes on? Sometimes people become more conservative as they age. Yeah, when they I get just, money
2: in houses. Yeah. So lucky for us, that's not happening.
0: <laughs> and look, I, I speak as someone who has two daughters, both of whom, uh, as I've uh, mentioned and kind of boasted on Twitter, both of whom have been... Uh, arrested for refusing to disperse at pro ceasefire rallies uh, these were early on and like the grand central station rally and so on anyway i mean they weren't like fighting cops it was just a ritual that the police would come and arrest them um and their friends you know yeah the vibe i get from them and their milieu is this is quite different from when i was young uh but I don't know. A lot of questions. Uh, there are people are raising questions. Well, I mean, about- the real question is, like, it, it, I don't think there's
2: going to be enough to, to stop population transfer. Right. So when 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 this shift happens in 10, 15, 20 years, it might be too late. That that to me is is the likely outcome. If I was Wait, Do
0: you mean there's going to be successful ethnic cleansing before then of the West Bank and or Gaza or what? Yeah, that's where the trends go,
2: I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, mean, it, I, I, I don't see.
2: I don't see any any uh, major world power getting in the way of that. That just hasn't happened. And 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 like with the, all the population transfers and movements, uh, I just don't see why that would not happen.
1: It's already, I mean, it's already happening in the West Bank, which well, it's just gives a the, fact. Gives you know, the game away.
2: Ideological. It's just happening. Right. It's, it's, on the it's
1: already happening in the West Bank, which, you know, doesn't relate to Gaza. But since October 7th, there has been. Uh, a huge spike in violence, both by settlers and Israeli forces against Palestinians in the West Bank, like 250, 260 people have been killed, Uh, thousands of people have been arrested, entire Palestinian communities have been emptied out by settler mobs or threats of settler violence. Um, And the best, you know, the best that the United States is willing to do about this is to, uh, as the Biden administration announced this week, uh, get put some settlers on a visa blacklist which uh you know the fact of the matter is right. a large number of some of the the most extremist settlers happen to be US citizens who have relocated to West Bank settlements and aren't subject to a visa ban they can come and go from the US cuz they have passports uh and the visa ban even the the spokesperson for the state department Matthew Miller said it it probably affects dozens uh, of people there's a symbolic i guess gesture that the US is willing to to do this. That's for the but the
2: department employees. That's my theory of that. Yeah, I, I think that's probably right. I think it's
1: probably for people who have been critical in the government, but also uh, you know, looking at democratic voting blocks in, in some states, as we've Danny, you and I have talked about, um, you know, looking at at people who are fed up with the Biden administration because of how it's approached this conflict. It's a it's a concession uh to them. It's a symbolic gesture. Uh, that the U.S. is is doing something, but even places that haven't been emptied out by uh, actual violence, you've got extremists in the Israeli cabinet like Bezalel Smotrich, who's uh, the finance minister and is also running the the agency that manages the occupation. You know, talking about imposing uh, basically security uh, cordon's around Israeli settlements that amount to just another land grab. I mean, they're. You know, they're imposing these kind of no man's lands over areas that Palestinians in the West Bank farm where they have oil, uh, olive, uh, olive crops. You know, they're olive orchards, um, you know, just just taking more land, essentially, you know, absorbing it into uh, this, you know, constantly expanding settlement block.
0: Yeah, the um, I mean, I get. Yeah, no, the uh, the the ethnic cleansing thing on the West Bank definitely accelerated after October 7. for now, they're, ju- they're relocating within the West Bank, which, which isn't uh, the kind of, you know, I mean, what, what a lot of people in Israel, certainly a lot of settlers would like to see is, of course, them, them, them go to Jordan or somewhere um, and, or the, and the Gazans go to Egypt. And I noticed, by the way, that uh, the Israeli military is currently encouraging them to uh, go to the Rafa crossing to, to be safe. Um, and hmm, that's pretty close to someplace other than Gaza, isn't it? Um, the I, I guess the one good thing I think I mean, aside from an occasional uh, you know worthless rhetoric, uh, what 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 the Biden administration has done about on the on the West Bank ethnic cleansing thing, they did one thing that surprised me. If if if, if I'm right about this, Israel wanted to import a bunch of rifles, uh, just buy them from America, by the administration uh, or or. Biden administration said, wait a second, are these going to settlers? They said, no, no, we assure you they won't go. They're going to the military. You know, and I tweeted, wait a second, these things are fungible. They can take, you know, rifles in the hands of the military, give them to the settlers, give these to the soldiers. I doubt that tweet was decisive. But last I heard, the administration at least did continue to put a hold on that. That's uh, Even that is symbolic, of course. What we need is for Biden to stand up and say shit. And, and of course, go further happen, out. Though. Right. He's not going to go out and say something that's not ineffectual because that would be like, listen, we actually have our limits. If the ethnic cleansing keeps going on or if X keeps happening in Gaza, we're going to have to reconsider whether we want, you know, whether the American taxpayers uh, money going to to fund these weapons. He's just not going to say that. You know, I wondered about like a taxpayer revolt organizing online uh, people who say. Uh, I'm not going to pay my taxes next year, or something. They try uh, that every like 30 years. It doesn't work. <laughs> like they try to be. You, you yourself said things have changed over the last 30 years, it's so yeah. it's so complicated to do. Well, I, like, I'm leaving it in your hands, Danny. I want you to start yeah. it's, this.
2: It's it, it's very difficult to do because that's not the way taxes work in the United States, and it, it's it's vir- it's virtually impossible. Well, I You mean, don't
0: pay them. You don't pay them. They can't steal your money. But you thing need to do. Is it's so the, many people committing to it that they couldn't possibly put you all in jail.
2: If Biden loses an election because of this, that's the biggest thing, basically. If that yeah, but, genuinely happens, then everyone's going to say, like, you know, Trump is a threat to democracy, blah, blah, blah. But in the medium term, if Biden loses an election and it is read as being partially about Israel, that will be the thing that changes U.S. Yeah, policy. But talk
0: about overdetermined. I mean, there's so many reasons he will, he, he, he's now right. like, it, it depends how it's
2: read, right? These yeah. are all things that have, I mean, like, history is just one damn thing after the other. The only thing is, like, what is the story that people tell themselves? Yeah. If the story that people tell themselves is Biden lost the election because he supported Israel in its war in Gaza, then that will change policy. American foreign policy genuinely, generally changes with for domestic political purposes. It is not like this is why it's kind of funny to always hear these IR guys because they're like talk about like like grand, grand strategy in this great game. But if you look at the history, why did Lyndon Johnson uh, escalate in Vietnam? Because he was worried about his electoral success, you know, the Democratic Party. It's always this local situation. And that is the biggest um, potential hinge point here is if Biden loses or if the Democrats lose and it's red as due to Israel, that'll change things. Barring that, it'll be a generational shift at best.
0: I don't think it'll be read that way. What do you think, Derek?
1: Um, I, I don't, I mean, I guess it'll, it could be read that way in several years from now, but I envision if, if Biden loses, we're going to get another four years of, uh, people shouting that the left right. ruined America and destroyed us like podcasting. they did after I, I might, 2016. I <laughs> so like, I, like I don't know when that's going to kick in because the institutional response is going to be, to lash out at at the left as is always uh, well right, the case and you know when a Democrat I mean, loses,
0: and and it, and and the Gaza thing puts a twist on the woke mob narrative, which is they'll say it was the particular woke mob that was part of these pro Palestine demonstrations that shut down uh, Christmas festivities and included uh, demonstrating outside uh, a Jewish owned restaurant. Which is a that is an interesting little thing. Needless to say, the story turns out to be more complicated. They weren't just they weren't just demonstrating because they were Jewish. That said, I I didn't think it was a good idea. But uh, uh, but 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 anyway, that's going to be that's one thing that's going to be strongly pushed. And there's going to be so much political power behind the pushing of this narrative. It's like, yeah, we're fucked. (laughs) Once again, we're fucked and things are going to get worse. And that's that. Okay, folks. Well, listen. Uh, we'll we'll bring you another episode soon. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, happy. To to a, no, we're we're, we're not happy done. Leave we're, not on done. A good note there. we're not done. Not nearly.
2: Um, I no, you're totally right. I mean, this is the problem, right? The, the, the same things keep on happening. It's things aren't working out. I was on. It was funny. I was on Glenn Lowry's podcast. I don't know if you saw about. I
0: People didn't. I was on it too, and apparently he got some negative feedback about what I had to say on this subject. But I haven't. I haven't listened to yours. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But people, people were really, really mad. I mean, it's just ideology all the way down, right? Like they, they criticize wokeness but then they don't want to be criticized for the exact same thing. It just—it really is just the, the the prison of ideology. It's all the way down. There's very, very difficult ways to do that without material transformation. Everything in this country is basically set up so that there isn't material transformation. This is why liberalism is constantly in crisis, because it won't reform itself, because there's no push. So this is where we are again and again and again and again. It's very frustrating.
0: So what would the material transformation be? This may be when our, our paths start to diverge.
2: I mean, you'd have to do serious redistribution. You'd have to change the structure of the American empire. You shouldn't have 750 overseas bases. You shouldn't have the dollar be a hegemonic currency. You know, you should actually tax billionaires and millionaires. You should actually get rid of things like stock buybacks and dividends. Three companies shouldn't own 20 percent of the S&P 500. If you just look right. at like, the, the whole thing, it's all broken, you well, know, and if you're not going to change it, then you're just going to get the problem.
0: Well, yeah, it's like I support most of that, but it, it falls into two categories. There's the overseas empire basis part. I agree with you. There's the redistribute income part. I agree with you. I'm just not so sure that the redistribute income part, even if it were possible, would have a big effect on the overs on the empire part. I don't know. Maybe.
2: Well, no. I mean, this is the problem. And the greatest thing the empire ever did was creating an all volunteer force. We're effectively creating a Janissary Corps so that mm-hmm. we're totally shielded from the consequences of the empire. It was genius. It was that was a genius move for Congress not to renew the draft in 72 or 73. I always get those states mixed up for some reason. That was great. So now Samantha Powers kids don't have to fight, but she could uh, constantly talk about the responsibility to protect. It's amazing. It's a, what a gamble.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that's that's all true. I mean, there are other unfortunate implications having all volunteer force, I think, uh, as it comes to have increasingly an ideological character. It didn't used to. I grew up in a military family. The army didn't used to have any kind of pronounced ideological character.
2: It's interesting. The officer corps is still progressive in the technical sense of the early 20th century. You know, they believe like technology is going to be able to like reform war and change things. And the enlisted men are usually more small, c conservative or apolitical. You know, it's it's a very strange situation we've set up here. And everyone who talks about foreign policy in the blob very few of them not 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 all of them but very few of them have actual connections to war fighting so you get this very strange thing that's happened which is kind of unique in history if you used to talk about war you used to generally have some experience in it for most of human history not anymore
0: well this is what kills me i mean we'll we'll, we'll get around to ukraine uh, shortly but this becomes relevant there like uh well and Mark, it's i mean it's Mark just Millie, getting yeah go ahead go ahead well, uh, well
1: i i mean i would you know add to what danny said we're 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 well beyond now just the volunteer force. We're into the next cut of this where we get humans off the battlefield entirely, except for the civilians who get caught in the crossfire. But we've got mm-hmm. drones. We've got, uh, you know, increasingly unmanned systems. We've got AI now to talk about, you know, potentially, which the Israelis are apparently mm-hmm. using to help them, you know, uh, find targets uh, in Gaza, which is the reason they haven't run out of things to bomb, I guess, but... Uh, but you know it's it's just another level of removal like taking this out of anybody's uh lived experience here in in the US without even putting uh soldier you know lessening the risk to to st- even the the members of the volunteer military uh, you know it just becomes more of an abstract concern for for people in the US and that that enables you to do more and more uh you know stuff it
2: it costs a lot more but but it it gives you freer rein And just one more thing, we're also, they're all private now. The U.S. military is essentially a training ground for the world's mercenaries. You know, like, this is what we've done. It's all so, so, so broken. It's so fucked at every level. It's almost wild to think about when you look at it holistically. Like, everything is not, even capitalism isn't functioning like it should. You know, you shouldn't have these incredible oligopolies. You shouldn't have State Street Vanguard and and BlackRock own everything, you know, it's, it's wild. Uh, is it Rock or Blackstone? I always like when I'm talking it's, quickly. It's
0: BlackRock, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. so they own everything.
2: Like, what what are you talking about? Why do you think airline prices and, and movie ticket prices have gone up? It's because it's all owned by the same three people. The same is, wait, it's is. not
0: Blackwater, is it? I just want to get clear no, no, on no. no, 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 no. Blackwater's
2: <laughs> the mercenary group. Blackwater's the mercenary thing. They're oh, right, right, right. They're, well, they're, so they're there's XC's. a
0: natural yeah. nexus here yeah. then. Uh, yeah. yeah, okay. Um, so, uh, Yeah, it's it's yeah, I saw footage of uh, uh, from the West Bank, uh, some Palestinian home and some drone was coming and like demanding that they do something. You know, some some no human being had to get anywhere near them, Uh, but it was issuing some warning or something or other. And I'm sure this is one reason the Israeli casualties, as you suggested, Derek, are so low. In Gaza, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm sure the initial exploration of the tunnels doesn't have to involve any human beings. At least, you know, you can get a certain uh, amount of uh, intelligence without putting people down there. And they're they're using robots and dogs
1: apparently to clear the tunnels. And there's been some talk. There was a thing in the Wall Street Journal a couple of days ago that they might start pumping seawater into the tunnels, which would uh, clear them out pretty quickly, but would also foul Gaza's water table and Whatever's left of uh, you know, people's ability to get fresh water would be uh, and it would flood the sewage system and and cause yeah, all, that's sorts, of, that's all sorts of salting the earth. all sorts of wonderful, literally yeah.
2: salting the earth. It's yeah. like a biblical uh, crime.
0: <laughs> so I mean, the people who are saying, you know, oh, this is so bad for Israel, you know, and and, and look, I do think it's interesting,, uh, the extent to which the publicity is negative, not just among the younger generation we talked about. But these mains. I mean, look, you look at the, the front page of the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and so on. There is a fair amount of highlighting these days of the suffering of Gazans. Maybe unbalanced, it's not the balance you'd like, uh, fine. Uh, but, you know, uh, my question to you is, though, does any of this matter? I mean, my reading of Israel's kind of collective psychology, obviously a huge oversimplification, has long been that, they just assume the world is going to hate them and and take that as a as a as a constant and and do what they think they have to do without worrying about that uh so i don't know do you do you do you think that's wrong or well, they
2: assume that and they also assume that the world doesn't care about the Palestinians, you know that calculation might be different if the oh, world... i'm not
0: sure i mean I, I think they think that the, what your the sympathy you see for the Palestinians actually originates in hatred of them and either anti-Israel sentiment or anti-Semitism. I think that that that's kind of the way they read that. You're you're emphasizing the things we're doing about Hamas. That must be because you embraced the initial Hamas atrocities.
2: Sure, but there Israel has repeatedly made strategic choices throughout its history on pressure. You know, it's not yeah. like this. It's they could only act that way without pressure right? Like Ben-Gurion and Begin, these were people who made like deals and, and stuff like that, right? It's just they, they're only allowed to act in this particular way because they've been given a free hand because they believe that there won't be any genuine blowback, right? This is, this, even, if, even if you're right, like on, on sort of like when, when you're at the, the dinner table, this is how they talk about things. That doesn't really matter. I mean, these are people who have made deals and have made agreements. It's just that the world doesn't care, I think, or it doesn't care enough if you don't want to like paint with that broad of a brush. And I think it's pretty clear it's pretty right. So this is why it's 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 a pretty um grim situation the United States could change it, but, like we've talked about, it seems very unlikely right now
0: and and Derek, do you think there's any lasting result of the kind of unusual degree of outrage for the time being at least about yeah. You know? I, I yeah i
1: don't i mean i I think you know there there's uh there hasn't been anything that's indicated to me that that the outrage or the coverage is changing the way that the Israelis are approaching the war. I mean, we get some lip service, and and it's certainly changed the way the Biden administration was talking about the war. I mean, there's a notable, noticeable shift in the rhetoric coming out of the State Department, coming out of the White House uh, a few weeks into this war, where in the initial stage it had been all uh, you know we support Israel. We don't believe that the casualties are as high as the the you know the Gazans are saying. Uh, we you know we're we're standing with Israel over and over again until it reached such a fever pitch that they really started to emphasize bringing humanitarian aid in. And you know uh, we expect the Israelis to conduct themselves according to the rules of war and to preserve civilian life. But it hasn't it hasn't manifested in any way that I can tell. I mean there was the the ceasefire. But since the ceasefire, we've seen even more intense fighting and less regard seemingly for for civilians uh, in just the last few days than we saw prior, despite, you know, all this talk that like, oh, the ceasefire is ending, but the Israelis will have, you know, sort of reset things and they've, uh, you know, they're trying to do more. They're going to do more now moving forward to to protect civilians. The only thing they've come out with is this absurd grid map. I don't know if you've seen that, Bob, mm-hmm. the, the, like... Uh, that they posted on the IDF website and they're like trying to call people to say, you know, you're in grid 210, and you need to move to grid, you know, three Oh five or something to get out of the way of the fighting. How are people in Gaza supposed to track this stuff? There's no, the internet services like knocked out, cell services knocked out. Like what is this? If not just a demonstration for a Western audience that we're like doing something, even though that probably has no real impact in
0: Gaza. Yeah. Well. Plus, Israel's already saying we see uh, missiles being launched from what we've defined as humanitarian relief zones. Well, I think I've got a feeling about what comes next, and it's kind of great to be the people who get to define the humanitarian relief zones, uh, and 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 uh, you know, but but and then and then and then bomb them as soon as you uh, say that you see trouble there. Well, listen. Um, well,
2: Bob. Actually, before before we, I, I was curious. Why do you want me to read that, John Jude? Maybe we could talk. Okay, about, we're going to uh, talk uh, about that. Yeah. But
0: first, I should say, um, you know, both of us, the non-zero newsletter slash podcast, the American Prestige newsletter slash podcast, have to make ends meet. As a result, we have both uh, adopted the paywall model. Uh, And we, in trying to figure out when is the optimal time to bring down the uh, paywall for this podcast, Danny and some of his neoliberal friends ran a profit maximizing algorithm. (laughs) He he knows people who, who, who know Python or some, some programming language. And, uh, and Danny, I think you said like right now, right? That was what you and your, uh, right. This is the exact
2: moment. My friends at Vanguard have just texted me. We should definitely (laughs) switch over.
0: Uh Uh-huh.
1: Uh, I have a McKinsey consultant actually listening on the other line. And uh, yeah, yeah,
0: they've, well, they've listen, assured me that this is it. I'm of course against paywalls. Uh, I, I've reducted, I, I adopted ours only reluctantly, uh, but I, I'm going to succumb to the neoliberal imperative that you guys are pushing so hard. Uh, and so we, we will, uh, we will continue where the podcast continues. Uh, I, I want to talk about, uh, well, the, the John, Judas Peace in the New Republic on Israel and settler colonialism, whether whether the paradigm matters. Uh, talk a little more about Biden's politics, whether we can hope that he'll squirm a little more on this issue. Um, and uh, then get into a, a little bit about Ukraine, because uh, I, I think we've hit kind of a watershed in American perception of that over the last few weeks.
2: And uh, we two geniuses that predicted this years ago. Things would have been different.
0: Oh, my God. Don't get me started. I'll do my bragging about how right I was on the other side of the paywall because I know it's a bad look and we only want to do it among <laughs> friends. <laughs> people, <who've, laughs> people who pay. Yeah. Uh, people who don't don't mind giving us money. Um, so anyway, but seriously, you'll be supporting two endeavors that we consider worthwhile. You only have to actually you only have to subscribed to one. You subscribe to the American Prestige thing or the non-zero thing. It was on Substack. And you get access to the rest of this, and to all of these, what I call overtimes on my podcast, and a bunch of stuff on your podcast. And yeah, and, uh, and
1: we have, we still have the discounts running, right? So people subscribe to one, they can get a discount on the other.
0: Yeah. Now, how do, is there an easy way for them to access that? What, like, we
1: have links. I mean, you guys have a link for us, and and we have a link for, okay. for your show that we'll put in the. Show notes. Okay.
0: That's it. 放放放